0: You brought up being, you know, the idea of the yoke. I mean, I think it's a great metaphor. If people are like, we live in, we live in most of us live in your right, in cities, and we don't understand what yoking means because it's a farming tool. But like the the, the idea of the yoke is like you put these two ox, two oxen together, and if the yoke is this contraption that goes around their nuts and holds them together so that they, they so that they pull the plow in the same direction. That's that was the yoke. So you never put a really strong oxen that wants to go to the right with a different ox and wants different ox who wants to go to the left because they're going to be they're going to be pulling at each other um and so you you, when you're when you're yoked you want to be with the person that's going to push hard in the same direction you want to push in, and and obviously as believers we hope that's in, in the direction of being holy being more like jesus
1: Welcome back to Mind the Gap. Today, we have the privilege of talking to a professor from Bethany Global University, which is where Aunt Alicia is currently enrolled as a student.
2: Yeah, so today we have Professor Kenneth Ortiz with us. He has taught, um, he taught critical thinking and what was the other class that you taught to us last year? Sanctity of Life and Ethics class. Yes. So he taught critical thinking critical thinking and sanctity of life, um, for me, freshman year. And then this year we are taking gender and sexuality and race and culture. So I'm really excited about those classes. Um, do you teach any other classes?
0: Uh, yeah, sometimes various Bible theology classes, preaching, eschatology, uh, depends on the semester. It varies, but almost everything in the realm of theology or ethics.
2: Awesome. Well, yeah, if you um, could just tell us like a little bit about like your personal testimony, your professional life, just like a little rundown of who you are.
0: Yeah, I uh, grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. For any Pennsylvania people out there, shout out to you. Um, I uh, did not grow into a Christian home. I had a really good friend of mine invited me to church. He told me I should come to church. I said, why? He said, because there's a lot of pretty girls at church. And I decided... I like pretty girls. I should go to church. And that's literally the first time with the church as a high school student. And um, I quickly found out that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And I met Jesus as a high school student, changed my life. That was in the late nineties. And I've uh, pretty much lived for Jesus all the days of my life since then. I've had a few seasons of doubt and a few seasons of uh, extra sin. And God has always found a way to bring people my way to rebuke me and to guide me back, and I've been so thankful for that. Um, spent a lot of my life as a youth pastor, a youth and young adult pastor. Um, I'm also now one of the teaching pastors at Cities Church in uh, St. Paul and a, and a professor at Bethany Global University. And again, as I mentioned, I teach various classes related to theology and ethics. Um, I'm also a PhD student. I'm about 50% way through my doctorate um, studying uh, historical theology. I'm kind of a church history nerd. Uh, so that's kind of uh, all of me and a wrap. Oh, I have a daughter now. She's 10 weeks old and she's super cute. And she's my favorite thing in the world.
1: Congratulations. I am about seven months pregnant with my first and it's a
2: girl.
0: Come on. Love it.
2: <laughs> Little Letty. She's so cute. I love her so um, much. I love her too. Probably not as much as you do, but I, I do love her. <laughs> Um, so what made you like, that's, I didn't even know that about your story. You're like, I want to go to youth group to meet these women. And then you learn Jesus. Like, I feel like that's what happens for a lot of people. Like we have like ulterior motives. Like me, I wanted to be just a cool kid with like my siblings going to the church they went to. And then like all of them and their friends ended up like getting older, going to different churches. And I was like, still there, like really pursuing God. But, um, so what made you want to like pursue ministry when you did decide like, okay, yeah, I'm fully giving my heart to God.
0: That's a great question. Um, I don't real honestly, uh, I didn't know what to do with my life. I graduated high school and I did pretty well in school, but nothing really excited me. And my youth pastor had this, had a huge impact on my life. And so I was just like, I want to just do what Rob does. And I was like, Rob, how do I do what you do? He's like, like, you just hang out with teenagers and young adults and college students and you help them love Jesus more. I just think that's cool. And he was like, well, here's kind of here's the road to, to pastoral ministry. And so that's what led me down that road. Um, I will say several years in, I walked away from ministry when I was 24. I had been a youth pastor in my early 20s, um, which I think I was way too immature to be in the position I was in. That's another conversation. Um, I walked away and I I started working in real estate for a few years because I really had kind of a a crisis of like, did I just do this because I just thought it was cool, but I wasn't really called by God. And so I walked away and I worked in the business world for several years. And then several years later, I kind of just, a a lot of things happened that really kind of uh, really just helped me realize the only, the only time I'm actually happy, the only time I'm really joy and fulfilled, fulfilled is when I am investing in young adults um, and helping them love Jesus. And it just, I realized, oh, no matter how much money I make, I'm not fulfilled because this is just, this is not what I was born for. And I kind of had a rediscovery in my, uh, in my late twenties, almost 30. And then in my early thirties started moving direction back that way. So I'm 39 now and have been back in some sort of pastoral ministry, um, or Christian education for, you know, for the better part of the last, uh, eight or nine years.
1: So I'm, I'm curious, once you realized that ministry was the thing you wanted to do full time, and that was what really fulfilled you, how did you go from knowing that's what you wanted to do? And that was what you were called to do to actually getting an education in it, becoming a PhD student and really digging your heels deep into that, that path.
0: You know, really sounds simple, but I just had some really good friends in my life that I talked to and they just gave me some good wisdom and, um, the advice and wisdom you get never, it's never going to match. You know, if you ask five people, you're going to get five different perspectives. But um, if people know you well, you can usually find a consensus. You can find sort of overlap and pretty much what, you know, the, the, the thing that seemed to overlap or seemed to be in common that everyone was saying, Kenny, you need to just start doing something, you know, what's some opportunity. And so there was an opportunity to open up an organization that I had, i had worked for previously. A ministry called Teen Mania Ministries out of uh, out of Texas, and I didn't really want to do it. It kind of just felt like oh, that's not really what I want to do. But it was just sort of a it was a, it was an on ramp. It was at least one step in the direction. And I probably had four or five people tell me, "Hey, it's not exactly what you want, but it's at least in the direction." And so I, I would tell people, talk to people who know you well, who who care for you. Talk to the four or five six people who know you best. And, and see what they say and see what overlaps you see what, and then just try to make, try to take some step in the direction. Um, it seems like when it comes to vocational ministry, you almost always stumble into something. It's very rare that there's a clear path, at least to all of the pastors I know and ministers that I know, there's almost always kind of a stumbling effect, but we just, we trust that God is guiding us in, even in that stumbling, so to speak.
1: So in that scenario, would you say the idea of going in the direction that you like directing yourself towards the say the career that you think God is pushing you towards? Like the direction is more important than the momentum. As far as you don't necessarily know if every step you're taking is exactly what you're supposed to be doing in the moment, but as long as you're going in that general general direction and you're you're talking to God and you know, having that relationship with him, you'd say that's the way you kind of got into this s- settling of your life where you are now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's probably, I think that's probably a true statement that the direction of trajectory is maybe more important than the momentum. You know, I'd have to tease that out. Maybe, maybe I might say it differently, but I think generally I, I would say yes, that's the right sentiment. Um, you just you set the trajectory. And um, I'm, i I also, I'm not a person that thinks it's, uh, that it's all that hard to figure out what God wants you to do. We, we, we make it much more complicated hmm. and we, I, I know I did, I did that. And we, it's like, we, we act as if getting out of the will of God is this easy thing. Like this, we make this one step and then we're all, like, like, no, like God sends us these massive, like if you're driving on a freeway and there's like four lanes, you know, going south, you can drive in any one of those lanes. It doesn't really matter what lane you're in. You're headed in the right direction, um, and just drive in whatever lane you want or whatever speed you want. But don't ignore the warning signs. You know, if you're in the far right lane and there's an exit sign that says, "Hey, this uh, this lane ends in a quarter mile and it exits," well, you want to you don't want to ignore that warning sign. Um, you you want to get over. It. And so, I think that's that's the metaphor I try to give a lot of young adults. Is that I think sometimes we act like we're going to make one mistake and then we blow it and we we've ruined our whole trajectory of life no, like just head in the right direction and don't ignore the warning signs along the way. There's, there's going to be warning signs. God is going to send people and situations in your life to shout to you. Something you're about to do is stupid. It's going to be harmful. It's going to be sinful. It's going to cause pain. Don't do it. And so as long as you're headed in a direction um, and you're, you're, you're paying attention to the warning signs, The lane you're driving in and even the speed at which you're driving is, in my opinion, far less important because we we ultimately trust that God is providential. We trust that God is sovereign. He's guiding us. God wants you in his will more than you want to be in his will. And so he's going to work harder than you to protect you and guide you than you ever will.
1: That makes total sense to me. I'm wondering what you tell the young people that you work with and including myself, I'm 29, I'm young, (laughs) so... And and I'm coming from a point of perfectionism, perfectionism, and God has really worked on that with me. Like, I don't want to take a step until I know it's absolutely what, we, what you want me to do. Like I want it to be completely laid out and what I'm going to do next and all these things. And I've really worked through that in the past couple of years. But I'm wondering what you would say to someone who is working towards going in that direction and, and say we're trying to pay attention to these warning signs. But when we're talking about you know feelings we can't always trust what we feel you know we're in our word every day so that can help us give us wisdom and discernment but what would you say might be the indicator that there is of a red flag or a warning sign it's not you know like like it's not always a feeling so how would you describe that to someone who's really trying to figure that out
0: yeah it's a great great question great thoughts i guess i would split it into two the, the perfectionist personality Um, as you just alluded to, and I, I've got a little bit of experience with that, not because I I am myself and not that kind of person, but my wife is, and she's, she'll talk about that often where she does wrestle with kind of what you just said, like, and I'm nervous to take a step unless I know for sure that it's going to be the right thing. And this is exactly what God wants me to do. And and so she and I've had a lot of conversations about that. Um, really to that, to that person, I would say and to anyone listening, I say, uh, man, God loves you. God loves you. He is love. Um, if If you are a follower of Jesus, you're in him. He loves you desperately with a passionate love beyond what you can understand. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the days of your life. He knew you when you were in the womb and he loved you. And I think sometimes we forget that. And I know that sounds maybe not directly relevant, um, but when you know that someone loves you, there's a lot of latitude for mistakes to be made. Um, I I love my wife so much. My wife makes mistakes. I make mistakes. She loves me. I, I forgot to take out the trash the other day. She had to remind me. I forgot to unload the dishwasher. Right? but because she loves me, she, there's there's not, there's not this brokenness in the relationship, and it it doesn't impair the trajectory of our life together. And I think people I, I want to tell people hey you may make a mistake and you may make wrong choices you in fact you are going to make bad choices in your life we're human beings it's a part of our human story but please don't forget the love of God, the passionate fierce love of God um, he will ensure that your mistakes um, are not devastating to you um, and so like, he, he will guide you so long as the second part of that question, you're not blatantly ignoring the major warning signs. And as you said, they the feelings are really hard to trust. The warning signs almost always come, in, in my life experience and what I've observed, they almost always come through relationships. The warning signs are other people, which is why living life outside of community is so dangerous for us. Um, I, I heard a pastor once say, one of the most dangerous places is when I'm alone with my Bible and when he first said it i was like what what do like it struck me but I, when i understood what he meant was when i'm by myself when i think it's, i'm just good i got me and god i don't need anyone else that's when i'm most likely to misunderstand what god is actually telling me and the community of god is very helpful to me in showing me where god is leading me now that doesn't mean that um you can never hear from god directly i don't mean to imply that but when it comes to the warning signs when it comes to like the man, that you're dating this dude that is, ooh, it's, it's not good. It's going to be bad. And everyone in your what, your parents and your pastor and all your friends are like, I don't know. Um, you probably shouldn't date that person, right? Or you're going to go to this college and you're like, I've you know, that's 10 people and eight of them are like, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, maybe you shouldn't ignore that, right? That's the, so to the perfectionist, I would say, God loves you. It's okay to make mistakes. And then to everyone, I would say, rely heavily on the Christians around you that love God and that love you, ignoring them is likely very dangerous.
1: That's uh, that's really good. And actually, that's something that um, I have struggled with in the past of trying to find a community in general, let alone the right one. Um, mm. and, and what I would what I would ask you is I actually know someone personally who listens to this podcast regularly, a friend of mine, and she is actually struggling to find the right church family in, in, in and around where she lives right now. And she's one of those people, like a lot of people, I think that has been to church, really tried to put themselves in it. And then, you know, got church hurt or got burned by someone or had like some kind of, you know, you know how that goes. And Yep. When we get try to put our back, ourselves back into it, and and you know not blame God for those imperfect humans that were put in our path and maybe hurt us, when we're trying to get back into it, there's you know for me there's a lot of things to consider as far as you know the the truth of what's preached at that church and the amount of grace that's given to people and the the kind of people that are in that community and even the theology behind everything. And, and Alicia told me a little bit about your Calvinism theology views. And I know a little bit about that and Arminian, Arminianism. And, um, you know, I'm not like a theology student or anything, but I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know, a theology nerd. I mean, (laughs) I have the book systematic, systematic theology, and I like to read it just for fun. So I don't know what that says about me as a person, but, um, I, for this friend of mine that I know listens to this and, uh, for anybody else kind of in her shoes that I've met a lot that are like her, how would you, how would you help them or describe to them the best way to find the right community other than church hopping?
0: Oh, um, that's a really, it's a hard question to answer because it varies so dramatically right. from a, based on where you live in, whether in the country or the world, um, and so uh, first I would just say to anyone listening to this, you know, to, to that specific person or anyone, anyone who's experienced hurt from the church, I just like, man, I'm sorry. Like that just humans, we, we just, we suck. And, um, am I allowed to say that? Sorry. Uh, I just like,
1: <laughs> you're humans, allowed to speak the truth here. <laughs>
0: um, humans, we're just, we're, uh, we're, we, we are experts at being mean to each other we are experts at being really nasty to each other. Um, and tragically, un- unfortunately within local church congregations, um, that still exists. Um, humans are just, um, we're just really tough on each other. And, and I, I don't always fully know uh, all the reasons why people do the things they do to one another, but it's real. And so all, all, a lot of us have experienced real hurt from churches. Um, I would simply say to anyone, like you've been hurt from the church. That's very real. Um, that wasn't Jesus, and I, I think it's important to know. Um, you know, uh, when I was in middle school, I was a part of an orchestra. Uh, you know, the, our middle school orchestra band, and we played Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, you know, one of the greatest pieces of music ever, uh, ever you know composed in human history, and um, and we did a terrible job. We grossly uh, misrepresented the greatness of Beethoven. You would not leave that night thinking, oh my gosh, that was so terrible. Beethoven must be awful. I don't believe in Beethoven anymore. He must not exist. Like, you wouldn't do that. And yet people do that with Jesus. Um, they look at representatives of Jesus who do a terrible job representing him. And they say, oh, they're terrible. That means Jesus must not be real. Or that means Jesus doesn't exist. People say these kind of things because they've been hurt. And it's uh, it's it's what we would call a non-sequitur fallacy. Just because people hurt you doesn't mean Jesus is not real. The hurt you've experienced is real. I want to validate that. And again, my heart breaks for you. My encouragement to you is, is to not give up on Jesus just because some people did a really bad job representing him. Um, I think that's kind of the first component. And go, go find a church. And it's hard to do, um, you know, number, there's two things I'm always looking for in a church. One is the quality of preaching and two, the community. Can I find friendship here? And uh, I don't need a lot of friends. I just need three, four, five, six, right? I, I need a handful of people who they're going to love Jesus and they're going to be a, just a genuine friend to me. Not a perfect friend and not a perfect representative of Jesus. But they genuinely love Jesus, even though they've got their own mess and crap to deal with, and they're going to genuinely love me, even though sometimes they're going to be rude and mean and disappoint me. Um, those are the things I'm looking for. I'm looking for quality preaching, so I tend to really like expositive preaching. Like, do these guys actually open the Bible and explain what's happening in the Bible? Like, when you leave that service, do you understand that Bible better than when you left, or do you just like understand that preacher's cool stories better um those are those are different things right and i don't the question is not whether or not you feel good or were engaged but did you do you understand the bible better now that you've heard that sermon dead before that's that's the first question i'm always asking um and then the second question i'm always asking is this community can i make friendship here um i would it's hard to do You, you kind of alluded to church hopping tragically you kind of you almost have to in some cases like i hate that but like you have to i would say give every church a fair shot to go to a church um go to that church for like at least like six sundays in a row and uh annoy the pastors email the pastors uh, email the leaders tweet them facebook message them what i like, be the most annoying person ever force them to introduce you to people and get you in a small group or a bible study group Force them to have coffee with you, um, like make it really hard for them to ignore you. People come to our church sometimes, and um, and then they leave and they get mad. They're like, "Well, no one, no one ever talked to me." I'm like, "There's 500 people in the room. I didn't know you were there." It's not because I don't love you. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not an expert in knowing every person in the room. Uh, but if but if you ask me to have, have coffee, I would say yes. Like, I if you ask me um, to, to connect, I'm going to say yeah. In fact, we were originally scheduled to do this podcast last week. And I had to cancel because someone in our congregation wanted to have coffee with me as a pastor. Um, and that's a priority to me. And so um, so I, I would say that, you know, one, don't give up on Jesus just because some people represented him really badly. Um, and then when you're looking for a church, you're looking for two things, quality preaching and you're looking for friendships, give it at least six weeks, do everything you can to make friendships. And if you can't, then move on to the next one.
2: Going back to like one point that you said and like still in the realm of this, what would you say to those people who are like, well, I've I've gone church hopping like one. I'm coming from church hurt. I've gone church hopping and all the churches that I'm seeing in my area are the same. Maybe it's maybe it is the culture of their area or like whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. And I feel like a lot of people in our generation, um, especially like my like age, um, they're like, well, I don't need church? Like I can, there's online services now, or like you said, just me and my Bible and kind of having that just solidified in them from their poor experiences of like, okay, I've gone from church hurt. I've done this church topping. It doesn't look any different, any different. So I can just have the online community that I see. Like, what would you say to them to encourage them to still find that community?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I, I get that a lot. Um, uh, there's two things. One is like the theology or the philosophy behind gathering with believers, and then the second is what do you practically do? Um, uh, the, the you know the Book of Hebrews tell us to tell exhorts us never give up on the the gathering of the saints, gathering together. We see in the Book of Acts the precedent being set of them gathering regularly all throughout the week. They're getting together in people's homes for for prayer and for fellowship. And at least once a week, all of the Christians gathered together to hear the word of God preached from one of the apostles and to to have the sacraments, baptism and communion administered. So we see both of those, you know, there's, there's, there's regular hanging out in more informal settings. And we see the the gathering regularly. We see the apostle Paul making a, making much of this in first and second Corinthians. Um, we, We see the apostle Peter making much of this in his letter. so, there's a clear precedent that we are to gather together regularly with people that know us. Um, And and you cannot get that online. I don't care what anyone says. Um, It's interesting to me, like the the, the conference industry across America today, there are conferences, business conferences, web, you know, there's all these different conventions and conferences that happen in every area of business and every arena of society has their own conference, right? Comic-Con in San Diego and podcast movement in whatever city, like all these different conferences. And so often I've asked people, why are these still conferences happening? They're very expensive, right? Airplane tickets, hotels, meals, tickets to the event. Why do people still go to conferences when you can just record the thing and watch it online? Like you can get the content. In in fact, you probably can absorb the content better in your own home where there's no distractions. Why do conferences still exist in every arena of society and life and business? And the answer is because everyone intuitively knows that the gathering people together makes a difference. There is something I would say supernatural about being in proximity to people that are like-minded, which is why from across North America, across the world, people go to Comic Con in San Diego once a year right? Because they want to be around other people that love comic books and movie characters the way they do. Um, and there's these different conferences and conventions. Um, they, they go, people go to these events every year, year after year, and they spend big money because they want to be around people that are like them, um, which is this remarkable thing. Well, God knows this because he created us. He made us this way. He knows humans are created to be incarnational, meaning to be together, um, to not just, uh, be from afar, but to physically be in proximity, um, with people that are like-minded. It, it encourages us. It, it, um, it strengthens our faith. Um, being in the room with people that are like-minded that believe what you believe strengthens your belief in those shared beliefs. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a, he's a sales guy. He goes to a sales conference every year, and whenever he comes back to his business, he's like, "Man, it was so great to be around salespeople who agree with me. I'm I'm a stronger and better salesperson now. When I go back to my sales job, I, I'm better at my mission at being a salesperson." And I'm just like, if the church could understand that, like, like, so on Sunday mornings we get together. We're it's like a mini conference every Sunday. We gather or whatever day of the week your church does. You know, we gather together and we are strengthened so that when I go out in my job, the rest of the week, I'm stronger in my mission because I've gathered with the saints regularly. Um, And if you're, if you're missing that, your faith will be weakened. Um, That is very clear. It is is one of the ways that God strengthens our faith is the gathering of the saints um, and the public reading and teaching of scripture. Every time I engage in that, I get a little bit stronger week by week by week, and so that's kind of a long answer to why giving up on um, local gatherings is a very detrimental. Um, community, the the practical way on how to find a church, man, uh, Lisa, you just said something that's so I think important. Um, you might be in a region where there's no church community, and I, this is going to sound bold. I would just encourage you move. If you live in an area part of the world or you live in an area where there's not a church and you need the community, you should seriously consider moving. Um, In fact, I tell people all the time this. The number one thing you should be thinking about before you move to a city is not your job, but your church life. Um, And people move all the time because they got a good job offer. They move, and then they try to figure out a church after they get there. And that's backwards. Um, I lived in Orlando, Florida, and I was a part of a great church. And I had a great job offer in Minneapolis at Bethany Global University. So I, I said, hold on, I'm going to go find a church in the area. So I, I looked online. I found a local church, City's Church. I had heard of it before. And then I flew up here and I had lunch with one of the pastors, David Mathis. I emailed him and said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. I want to check out City's Church. I'm not going to move here unless I know there's a church I can get connected to immediately. Um, and I did that from afar. I kind of church hopped from afar, from, from Florida. I was checking out different sermons online from different churches. I mean, in the world we live today, it's so much easier to check out churches than ever before. Um, I read their statement of faith. I listened to sermons. And then when I moved here, I had lunch with David Mathis. And I said, okay, that's the church I'm going to go to. And then I said yes to the job. And I moved to to Minneapolis on a Saturday. And that Sunday morning, I started going to City's Church, and I've never gone anywhere else. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be everyone's story. I'm just saying... I find people make local church life a low priority when they're making life decisions. And then they complain about not being able to find the church. I, I have a friends of mine who are, she works a job that um, is on Sunday mornings. So she's trying to find a church at Sunday night or Thursday night. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a, she doesn't have options. And I'm like, you should quit your job. And she's like, no, this is a great job. It's one of the best jobs in the world. God wouldn't have given me this job if he wants me just to quit and I'm just like I just think your priorities wrong I think you've prioritized this great job over the potential of finding community and 6 years in they she and her husband still don't have a church in the city they live in and they, they're floundering and their marriage has suffered and I've observed this for 6 years and I'm like you guys need to be in a church but you but you idolize your job more than your spiritual life you can't be surprised if you're struggling so um yeah gathering together is too important and I would say people need to seriously consider shifting their life around the community of believers they want to be a part of.
1: So it sounds like a thing of priorities and commitment and those two things going hand in hand as far as as having the right priorities, but also once you make a decision, be committed to it. Like, it sounds like you had the right priorities of finding the right church, but once you found City's Church, you're like, this is where I am. I'm not going to try and find another one because I've made the decision. And it sounds very similar to me like a marriage
0: 100%. So um
1: Alicia was telling me a little bit about your like I guess she is close with your family and Alicia you can go into this a little bit more um but I was wondering um you know how that worked out with you meeting your wife and kind of having the same ideas of finding a church and finding a wife and, and, and maybe it's a similar process in in that regard, or what would you say to that?
0: Uh, Interesting. You should say you, we actually at our church, we actually consider membership. When you become a member at our church, it's a big deal. We actually have membership, a membership covenant. And so here are the things, promises we as pastors make to you. And here are the promises you as members make to us and the other members. And it is it's, they're like, they're like vows. Um, and we have them, we, 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 recite them to each other. People think it's weird. We don't care, but we make a big deal of it. And so we, it is analogous to marriage and it is analogous to marriage in that is, there is a way out. Like there are biblical precedents to ending a marriage. There are very few of them, but there are, and there's biblical precedent to ending the membership of your local church. Um, there's legitimate reasons to leave a church. I'm not saying you should. Yeah. and, and the reasons to leave a marriage are very few. The leave, reasons to leave a church are more. There's a longer list. Um, so I, they're not a perfect analogy. So I want to make sure people don't misunderstand that. Right. Um, yeah, when it comes to just generally um, the idea of like being like being committed and being um, uh, and having the right priorities, I, I think generally that actually, I mean, that helps you find the right community of believers, the right church. It also helps you find the right spouse it also helps you find the right job. Um, I think having that clearly knowing what, I think, I think it helps you understand where you ought to live, um, and where you ought to not live. I think there's a lot of things it can govern. And so, you know, my wife and I, we were first dating. Um, she, uh, she wasn't super plugged into a local church. She had, she had been involved in a local church tightly. She lived overseas for a while. She had just moved back. And so as she moved back, she was kind of not really connected yet. She was not feeling real connected to a church. At that point. So I kind of I met her in a season of life where she was more like, hey, I'm not really connected to a congregation I want to be, but ever since I came back from France, it just hasn't quite worked out. And so um, so we had a lot of conversations about priorities, around values, what is important to us. Um, what's our commitment level look like? And so it kind of to be honest, in our dating relationship, those conversations became easy for us only because of the season of life she was in. Um, and she did say to me at one point, man, you take this, like finding a church and being committed to a church and it being a part of how you live your life. She was like, wow, you take it way more seriously than almost anyone I've ever met before. And, um, she found that attractive, praise the Lord. She found me attractive. Right. Um, but, uh, so she, 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 she thought that was interesting and attractive and appealing. And, um, unfortunately that's missing from the large swath of American Most American Christians don't take that, don't take commitment to a local church seriously. They would think it's laughable that you would even compare marriage to local church commitment, that somehow they're not even close. Certainly, my marriage commitment is higher than my church commitment. My wife is my, you know, that that covenant is more serious, Um, but they are analogous to some extent.
2: Yeah, I think that a lot of people our age are just kind of over, like, from church hurt or from, like, Christians, Christians that they have met that have just been super judgmental, didn't really know them, didn't take the time to, like, have a relationship and love on them before they gave them correction or whatever, and they're new to the faith. So I think that, you know, our generation is kind of moving away from church community, which is, like, really sad because it's needed and especially since coming to bethany i've realized like how needed it is um but switching gears a little bit i've always found your story with Melena, like from what i've heard from her like really interesting of how you guys like not how you met because i know like you both worked here but like just how the relationship came about. Um, and we have our audience is mainly like young women. So I wanted to know if you could just give us a brief summary, whatever you feel comfortable of telling us about like kind of your search for a wife and how that led you to Malena and like what you were looking for and like office visits and like all of that stuff.
0: Um, yeah, I would love to share. I love talking about my wife. Um, I will say, you know, I wanted to be married as a young man in fact, a lot of my friends used to joke, they're like, Kenny's going to be the first one married in our crew. And I was the last one, which is kind of, it was interesting, but, um, I want to be married. I dated a little bit in my twenties. And then I just had this moment of like, eh, I just don't care. And I just sort of ignored dating for like eight years. And I just didn't date. And I just, you know, maybe I, one or two dates here or there, people would try to set you up with someone, but never really pursued anything. Didn't have any relationship for a really long time. and. Um, and then I had this like, I don't know, I think mean, it was just God. I can't, I can't even describe it. Something inside of me just changed where I was like, okay, I want to be married. I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. And um, and that, and so that I I basically, this is how I viewed it. And people sometimes I think make choosing a spouse, this is very, this is a very American thing or a very Western thing. We make it way more romantic than it ought to be. And that sounds counterintuitive to Americans. Um, but here's the here's the analogy that I use. And people don't like this, but it's because I think they have a they have an American view of relationships, not a biblical view of relationships. The analogy I use is this. When I walk into Walmart and I need deodorant, okay. What I go in and say, listen, I need deodorant, I recognize I want to be the kind of man that's wearing deodorant. So I walk into Walmart and I look at what they have. And I say, look, they've got like 20 different types of deodorant. A lot of these are really good. Some of these are terrible. Some of these would be good for me. Some would not be. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the best one from what Walmart has made available to me. Here's what a lot of Americans do. A lot of Americans walk in and say, you know, I need the deodorant. that's just perfect. That meets my perfect list. And none of these meet my perfect list. So they walk out. And they, they don't buy the deodorant. And then they say, I'm so angry that Walmart doesn't have a deodorant that meets, my, that meets my perfect list. Okay, that's a ridiculous analogy. I recognize it. And I'm basically comparing my wife to deodorant. I apologize. I don't mean it to sound disrespectful. But um, we we view things very, in a just a goofy manner. And so what I would tell people is, if you want to be married, in this analogy, this ridiculous analogy I came up with, God is Walmart. That's really weird. I got to come up with a different analogy in the future, but God has provided a, a community of people around you. It's your job to like, go look for it. Like, I, I think sometimes I, I hear young adults who want to be married. People in our church, people at Bethany Globe University, young adults that are like, Hey, I want to be married. And I'm like, what have you done? Have you gone searching? And they're like, well, no, like, what do you expect? Like, are you expect you're going to be sitting home on a Friday night and God's just going to like drop the person down on your balcony supernaturally like i don't know what people uh, people make this like weird and i'm like I, they're like well god hasn't provided someone i'm like have you have you looked have you put in the effort have you done anything um i say this to young guys especially um i say to young guys to any young guys saying this listen the bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing finds finding implies that you searched You don't find something unless you look for that thing, and so there's a lot of guys out there that are just, I think, not searching. So stop playing video games. Put down the PlayStation. Put down your 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 Switch or Twitch or whatever the whatever it's called, and um, and go find yourself a woman. Like go be a man. Like I I just um, and so that's for men. So I think in general. I just think there's a lot of people thinking guys are going to provide this cause of dropping down. Um, and so I don't think there's a problem with, I don't have a problem with people online dating. I don't know. I was on Bumble for a little while. Um, and, um, I didn't, I didn't meet my wife on Bumble, but I think a general, you know, our hand, or Christian mingle or e-harmony, like, uh, or I, I literally had a young man in our church this week who came to me and was like, Hey man, he's 29. He was like, I really want to be married. You think, Are there any girls in our church? You think that would be a good match for me? Like you can, you know, our church is not huge, but you know, it's big enough where he's like, I don't know everyone. Is there a girl that you think I may not know you could point out? I'm like, yeah. Do you know her? I don't know. Here's a picture. You could just keep, go ask her out. Okay. Like, I, like that was a conversation I had last Friday, like literally with a 28 year old guy in our church. Um, and so I say that all the time. Um, so, that, so, so when I, when I had that realization, I want to date, i want to be married. I looked at the community I was a part of in Florida and there was one girl one woman who was like, Hey, she's the, she's the the one, she's the best of this bunch of like the community that God's provided me. She's the one. So I pursued her. We dated after several months, we determined that we didn't think it was a good fit. We broke it off. We're still good friends. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. We're still friend, Facebook friends because you can still be friends with people after you date. If you date appropriately, um, we're still friends. We broke it off. Um, I ended up moving to Minnesota um, a year later, I met a different girl. We dated for a little bit, didn't work out. I was single for like a year, and then Milena came back from France, and I was like, I need some of that in my life. And so she um, she lived uh, she lived in France. We worked together at Bethany Globe University, and I basically just went in this like I did some reconnaissance work. I like I talked to like everyone she knows for like six weeks. Everyone, I was hey, well, tell me about what, what do you what do you think about her values? What about this? And and I got a lot of people's perspectives for about six weeks. I got the community of people who know me, who know her, um, and to try to get the community of people that love me to speak into this. And, um, almost everyone said, that's a great match, except one person said, Hey, it could be a great match, except there's one thing and you want to make sure you bring it up. And so I said, great, thanks for the advice, Melina and I went on a few dates and within four, within, within four dates, I brought up that issue that my friend had brought up. And we had many conversations about it, and, um, and so we dated for like I think we dated for like nine months. We got engaged for ten months. We got engaged six weeks later. We were married, and um, and four months later, she was pregnant.
2: Such a beautiful story. I'm I'm kind of like you, Kenny. Where like I've always had the mindset of just like, and I know I'm only 22. But I've always just had the mindset about dating of, like, you date for marriage. Like, that's what I was taught. And in some ways, it's been bad for me because I've been in relationships where I'm like, you date for marriage. So then I don't leave. But ultimately, like, I don't see the point of, like, how our generation is like, well, we're kind of just seeing, like, what's going to happen and Like, just the extreme of that, because I do think that there is some beauty in, like, not holding on too much. Um, But just for me, in my, like, struggles with relationships and trying to figure out, like, okay, yes, like, I do value uh, a marriage over just being able to say that I have a boyfriend or whatever, but I'm getting into these crappy relationships that just are not doing me good and not leading me there. And I kind of, I don't know who taught it to me, or, like, I'm sure someone taught it to me, but I just had the understanding of like, who am I? Like, am I someone that the the man that I am looking for, would he see me and want to be with me or are my habits and my beliefs, things that would push him to find someone different? And so just looking at myself first and growing in myself first before being like, cause I know a lot of women nowadays, especially in our generation of hot girl summer of just being like, well, he has to have, a house and a car and he has to make six K so six figures so that he can like provide for me. Um, but I have like three kids and I don't have a house and I don't have a car and I shouldn't have to, because he's going to provide for me. And that's just an extreme, but there are a lot of women who like think that and they don't, haven't gotten into their heads. Like, what are you bringing to the table? So it's the mentality back to-
1: of like, treat me like a queen, but I'm not going to
2: act like one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. exactly exactly um, just like how we talk about like men want us to submit to them but they haven't done da-da-da-da. it's like the opposite of like you want a man who's gonna love you but you don't want to submit to him and respect him um but that's a whole different that's a whole different conversation <laughs> so going back to you and malena and um what were the qualities that you saw in her that was like okay yes this is the type of woman that would fit me well like were there specific yeah. things that you saw and was like, okay, yeah, this is her. Besides yep. her looks, because she's beautiful.
0: That's right. She is beautiful. I agree. Uh there um, the, I used to have a much longer list. And as you get older, that list gets shorter. You realize how how silly the list is. You know, when you're 16, I want my wife to have all these things. You're like, that's you just on this side of it, you're just like, wow, that's so dumb. Um, but there are some things that are really that were really important to me. Um obviously I wanted a woman who, who loved Jesus. And I knew that, um, that her love of Jesus was always going to be a priority that, 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 that should be obvious as a Christians, but still needs to be said probably. Right. Um, and the number of people that date people that just I'm like, does that person really love Jesus? And you're like, well, yeah, I guess like, what are you doing? Don't like, you're just asking. Disciples? For a Discipleship that?
2: dating.
0: That's right. Discipleship dating. Uh, flirt to convert, um, missionary date, whatever. Like it just um it doesn't mean God can't use it. I, I know couples where it does, but like it's you're asking for heartache. Um so that was important to me, obviously. I also specifically wanted a woman who really uh could I, I, I like I'm kind of an adventurous personality. I like trying new restaurants, I like trying new foods, I like doing weird adventures, I like I'm kind of a weird personality, I like that. I like doing those kind of things. And I wanted someone that that would be fun with. Um, and I like, I wanted to have, I like having conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm a talker. Uh, I like talking a lot and I like, and it's really boring to be in a conversation where you do 90% of the talking. Um, like it's, it's legitimately, that's not enjoyable. Uh, at least not for me, it's not. And so I wanted someone who's like, could talk as much as me, maybe not as much, but close to someone who would be, and someone who was not afraid. I'm, I have a very strong personality. I intimidate people. Students say that sometimes, you know, Professor Ortiz is very intimidating. I'm like, I'm a softie. What are you talking about? But um, I have a personality that I guess intimidates people. And I needed to be, I, I needed to be with a woman who had a stronger personality as well. Um, I, I could not have, it would not have been a good, it would not be healthy for me to be married to a woman who was very timid or shy, reserved, and not assertive. Cause I would just run her over, you know, even unintentionally. Just, I would, it wouldn't work for her. it, wouldn't be good for her. That kind of woman would not want to be married to me, so I needed a woman who is strong. And people say that regularly about Milena, they would say, Man, Milena and Kenny are married. Whoa, wow, that's a combination, man. Both of them, those are those are strong personalities. Like, people say that about us, um, but otherwise, it wouldn't have worked for her. Like, it just there's you know, um, and I, I think vice versa, I, I think, um. There are some people that are more mild mannered or they, their personalities go back and forth. And so they're, they're a little, my diverse. I, I needed someone who was more like that. So I think love of Jesus love of kind of like new experiences was, was really enjoyable, very talkative. And Milena can quickly get to beneath the surface conversations. It doesn't take her a long time to get to deeper conversations and she's not intimidated easily. She's got a strong assertive personality. And, uh, she's not afraid to stand up for herself. Those were things that I, I knew would be helpful for me as a man. And, uh, and I, I needed that. Um, and then I thought about children a lot. I want to, want to like, Hey, this woman's going to be the father, the mother of my children. I want to make sure she loves kids and, um, uh, really wants to have children. And when we were dating, I always jokingly said, I want to have nine kids. I, I don't actually want to have, I don't know how many I want to have. But I want to have multiple, um, and I always jokingly said that just, just to see how she felt about it. And um, she would always be like, well, that sounds like a lot, but okay, maybe she, you know, there was at least a sense of like, all right, well, maybe if that's what God wants, where some women are like, absolutely not. You know, and i and that's fine for them, but that just, that wouldn't be a good match for me. Um, and then I just watched her interact with younger people and kids. And she was just so sweet and gentle with them. While we were dating, we hung out with some friends and I watched her hang out with some kids and she was just so sweet to them. And, um, and I just thought, I think she's going to be really great with the kids and she's been a phenomenal mother 10 weeks in with our baby and she's awesome. She's an awesome mom. And so, um, so those are the some things I I was looking for. Really. I was, the the advice I, I tell people is, um, is when you're coming up, when you're thinking about what you really want in a spouse, you really need to think about what, what you need in terms of your own flaws. My flaw was I tend to run people over So I desperately need someone who's not going to get run over easily. That's my sin that I need to continue to work on. Um, But it may take me 20 or 30 years to to, to, to iron that out. And so I need to to be married to someone who can help me in that 20 or 30 year journey as I work on that. And so um, really think about your own sinfulness and your own selfishness, your own brokenness. And what's the type of person that can help you? Um, I'll I'll, 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 I'll close that thought with a quote from, uh, it's, It originally comes from a guy named um, uh, Gary Thomas in his book, but it's been quoted by Tim Keller as well. Marriage is not for happiness. Marriage is for holiness. And because we're looking for someone to make us happy, we have the wrong perspective and we end up in wrong relationships. Instead, look for someone that will help make you holy. That will lead to a much happier marriage in the long term.
1: It also sounds to me like you need to already have a relationship with Christ. You're, you you need to already know who you are in God and who he created you to be, to even start to find who would be a good person to balance you out in your flaws and everything else.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's the ideal um, for sure. I agree. That's probably not realistic for a lot of people. A lot of people are like still struggling. And so I think I would say, yes, try to kind of figure out what, hey, who am I? And one of the ways you do that is ask people around you, like, what are the five things I suck at? Tell me, like, ask everyone around you. It's a hard conversation to have, but it's in, it's insightful and helpful. And um, so I, I agree with you. You you need to have that, but you, you it may take you a while to get there. Um, you know, it took. I was in my late thirties before, like I felt like I had a a much a really healthy self awareness of my own flaws. I would not recommend people wait till their late thirties to be married, uh, necessarily. In fact, I think it's I think it's unhealthy for most people to be unmarried in their late thirties. I think it's a rare thing that people should do. Um, and so, for some people, it works, but I don't think it's ideal. And so, yeah, there's a balance between like figuring out who you are in Christ, what your strengths are, what your flaws are, what your trajectory is. And just being married to someone who can, if you're married younger, before you understand those things, you can kind of help each other as you discover that. So there, there's a pros and cons. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I would definitely agree because when I met my husband, it, we, I mean, you know, we did not do it the way that ideally would be done. And I was extremely broken and long story short, this is my second husband where my first one, I got married when I was 19. And that was like a, a religious thing. It's like, okay, you're not allowed to be your own person as a grown woman, unless I give you a way to be submitted to another man kind of thing. And that marriage obviously did not work out. And we were not in a, this was not a man that I was supposed to be with in the terms of like, no, we didn't know each other, but we also weren't, neither of us were in a space to like love each other enough to even try to help each other out. Like I had a conception of how that might work at at the time, but I was not nearly spiritually mature enough, uh, mentally mature enough, no amount of maturity on, on my end. And he wasn't even really, he only went to youth group to see me the, like the same reason you went to youth group, but he never actually got to the point of seeing himself through Christ. It was like, okay, I met you at school. Now I'm going to go to youth group to hang out with you more. (laughs) So anyway, that's a long story short, but now I got later on and I had to deal with all the, all the hurt of, my church and that religious background of making me get married before I was ready. And that, you know, I made that decision, but I was also 19, you know, my brain wasn't fully developed yet. I was making the decision to get out from under the control of the church and my parents and all all these things just to be my own person. And then I'm divorced at 22 and, you know, dealing with the aftermath of that and not even knowing how to date, never having seen anyone do it right. And my, you know, my parents, I was at my parents' wedding in utero. (laughs) So like no one I knew had ever really done it right. And I was also dealing with depression and everything that goes along with that. And that's just my story. But every, a lot of people I know aren't in a space to like, okay, I grew up in church and I have a healthy relationship with God and I know who I am. And, you know, I know Jesus loves me. And like, I have all this confidence in the biblical knowledge of Christ and now I'm going to go find my spouse and it's going to be a healthy thing. It's not always like that. And it wasn't like that for me, but what I will say is I was, I was at a point to be, um, I was at a point to see my own brokenness and, and, and that's just on my end, you know, I was able to mature through allowing myself to even get to the point of allowing myself to submit to someone because I'm a very like, you know, that independent woman kind of personality. Like I don't need no man, you know, especially after I was divorced and married to someone who was emotionally abusive. I was like, I'm never getting married again. I'm never. So when I got to that point, God was like really showing me my own brokenness. And that was enough at the time. And he put me Mm -hmm. in front of someone who I would say, you know, we hear the term equally yoked in church. And when I was growing up, I thought that just meant, oh, you just find someone else who professes to be a Christian and then you get married to them. Um, You know, in, in my own state of brokenness at the time, equally yoked to me was we share similar burdens and similar seeds of truth. Neither of us are perfect. We're both very broken But we both want to go in the direction of balancing each other out, getting to know each other and helping each other mature in our own individual ways that God created us to do it together. And that's when I knew that I was able to get married again, which is a a miraculous thing. If anybody knows me personally, it's like, whoa, you got married again? (laughs) Like you said, you never, we're never going to do that. So, um, I totally, I, I totally agree with you. I guess what I was asking you originally is like knowing yourself is important in the most ideal sense, you know, who God created you to be having a relationship with him. He will show you who you are, but the, the reason why, you know, we're never going to be fully mature, no matter how much we're living on this earth, because, you know, we're imperfect human beings, as long as we're in this fleshly body. So it just, I, I, I don't know. I would say from my personal experience in this regard and not, you know, not being, you know a professor of theology or ethics or anything like that but just my own anecdotal experience is no matter where you are as a woman or a man even if you do have your own baggage your own brokenness as as long as you're looking to Christ to see your own flaws and 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 asking for forgiveness and Giving him the space to work on you. If you meet someone, if they have their own flaws, like everybody's going to have their own flaws, so why not? You know, why not pursue holiness with someone who's equally broken? There's there's a lot of nuance to it. I'm not not saying that at all. But everybody's in a different space. But there's always a, a direction of holiness that we can go into. Would you would you say that's generally how it works out?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think trajectory, like you said, like we're, we're headed in the right direction. We're, or, we've right's the wrong word. We're headed in the same direction, right? right. This, that we're, we are both, I mean, you brought up being, you know, the idea of the yoke. I mean, I think it's a great metaphor. If people like, we live, we live in, most of us live in, in cities and we don't understand what yoking means because it's a farming tool. But like the, the, the idea of the yoke is like, you put these two, ox, two oxen together and if the yoke is this contraption that goes around the necks. That holds them together so that they, they so that they pull the plow in the same direction. That's that was the yoke. So you never put a really strong oxen that wants to go to the right with a different oxen who wants different ox who wants to go to the left, because they're gonna be they're gonna be pulling at each other. Um and so you, you when you're when you're yoked you wanna be with the person that's going to push hard in the same direction you wanna push in. And and obviously as believers, we hope that's in the in direction of being holy, being more like Jesus. I mean, that's it. I, I want to be married to someone um, who's going to help me be more like Jesus. And I want to be married to someone who I can help them be more like Jesus. Um, and so I, I think, I think you're right. There's a lot of caveats and so many nuances. Every situation is different. Every situation varies. And there's, I mean, and I know we could come up with 20 different stories and we would give different advice to all of them. You know, there's, there's so many nuances and it's, I want to be fair to not, give a blanket statement for everyone. But I, I agree with you the the knowing who you who you are, having some sense of your own brokenness, having some sense of the direction you need to head is helpful because that'll really govern who you who you kind of hit yourself to.
2: So what's some advice that you would give to Christians who are looking to be married um, particularly women since that's more of our audience, but like those yeah. who they might be in a relationship or they might have been divorced before or they might you know just want have that desire and they're sitting in that waiting without having a person that they're like okay this is I'm on this track with them um what's like the biggest piece of advice that you would give to those category those like three categories of people
0: um man first i would just say for any woman who's been through like which is probably a lot of women or if not all of them who have been through really hurtful relationships been through a divorce um just like, man, God does not view you as broken or damaged goods. Um, I've, I've just observed this in a lot of young adult women who have been through brokenness, women who have been through divorce, um, especially, just feel like I'm damaged goods. Um, I'm broken. God, you know, No one's going to want me or I'm dirty. And uh, that's just not at all how God views you. Um, I mean, outside of Christ, we are all that way. We are all um, deserving of the wrath of God. Um, but in Christ you are forgiven and that's not, we're not viewed that way. And so I've, I've run into that where some women view themselves that way. And it does choose, it does impact how they choose men. And, um, and so that's what, that's why I I feel the need to say those things regularly. You're not damaged. That's not how God views you if you're in Christ. Um, and then just practically, I know kind of already alluded to earlier, but like consider like, if you want to be married, like. Um, you got to consider like wh- where are you fishing? Like, you know, if you want to catch some fish, listen, if you want to catch trout, you don't want to be at a lake that only has carp. Like, you know, uh, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know if that's probably a bad anyone who fishes probably just mocked my analogy. But like you want to be careful, like where are you fishing? Where are you hanging out? Um, what are you doing? And so, like, are you know, are you on eHarmony or are you on uh what's the what's the hookup app? I forgot the Tinder, let's say. Um like, like, um, like, I don't know, maybe there are people who can meet on Tinder who love Jesus. And it's like, ah, like there's a culture on Tinder. Like that, like most people I know who use Tinder are kind of like in this area, maybe like you, maybe you should not use Tinder. Maybe a guy's on that is not gonna be your ideal bet. Maybe hinge is better. I don't know. I'm making stuff like every, like, every situation is different. Um, but like, where are you, where are you hanging out? Um, who are you spending time with? Who are you making margins for? Um, I think that's part of it. Um, I also tell a lot of young women I, there's there's this idea that men should be the pursuers and women should never do a pursuit. And I think there is some. I think that's rooted in some good ideology. I think there's some good there. However, that doesn't mean that women can do nothing to help perpetuate the pursuing process. I also think a lot of that, like damsel in distress. The man is the pursuer. The woman needs to be sought after. That's that's um, less biblical and it's more tradition. That that, that's not really rooted in scripture. There's elements there, Um, and so I think it's okay if a girl likes a guy and you want him to ask you out. You should uh, you should say some things to him, or you should make it obvious or communicate with him. So I give you an example. Let's say. Sally likes Billy. And Sally wants Billy to ask her out. Sally should go to Billy and say, hey, Billy, we've been friends for a little while. It's been great to get to know you. I think you should ask me on a date. Because if you do, I'll say yes. Um, I think that would be appropriate. And I think sometimes girls are like, it's wrong. I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong at all for a woman to now. For some women, it would never want to do that. But I just, I don't, I don't think, I don't look at girls as damsels in distress that should never, yeah. Now, maybe that's too extreme for some girls, Uh, but maybe, hey, maybe you go talk to the best friend and say, hey, hey, Johnny, your best friend, Billy, I kind of think he's cute. I'm just letting you know, if you ask me, if you ask me out, I would, maybe you should drop some hints for me, okay? Like, I don't think that's an absurd thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe that sounds too inappropriate to some, Um, but I, I don't think it's inappropriate. Now, and the reason I say that is because partially is because we live in a church culture that has told women they can't pursue. And so we at our church, we are very big on pushing the guys. So like I probably don't need to give that advice to women in our church. And it probably would feel inappropriate in our church context just because we are we push the guys a lot. Hey, um, don't text that girl. You go to her, don't call her, go to her face to face. Like this guy at my church who was like, Hey, do I just go? Like, yeah, go up to a girl after service and say, Hey. I saw you serving in kids ministry. That's, that sounds kind of stalkers. I probably don't want to say that, but like, Hey, we were, we were, we were, I saw you at church and yeah, I noticed you I would, would love to, you want to go grab a lunch after service? Um, We'd would, would love to take it. Like just being very clear. So we push our guys to do that a lot. And I do that at BGU. And I talk to the guys, right you know, at BGU. It's like, it's like 70%, 75% female as our student body. I tell the guys all the time, you want to be married. How you don't have a better, this is the, this is the best place you're going to find a wife how do you leave this place single? Like, well, I don't know what to do. See that girl go ask her on a date. Uh, I don't have any money. Here's $5. Take her to McDonald's and buy her some fries, whatever, like go do something. Um, and so we push, I, I push guys a lot in my life to do that, but I know that that's not happening in a lot of other Christian circles. So I feel like I, I'm, I want to empower the women to say, Hey, if the guys in your circle are not being encouraged to do that, it's okay for you to take some steps to encourage. And now we want the men to be leaders. I believe in male leadership. I believe the Bible teaches that. Uh, But I also think it's okay for women to do things in a a gracious and kind manner um, that would prod men to be leaders.
2: Yeah, I think this is also something that has many levels to it as well, because um, I do think that to a certain degree, if a guy is interested, he's going to show it in some way. And I think sometimes that it's hard to say because there are a lot of times where women are like, there were all these signs, but like, ultimately, like I do agree that there's levels where women can like show like, Hey, I'm interested. So if you're interested and you're nervous, because you think I'm not interested, I am. So start pursuing me. But I do think that, like you said, it's, it's biblical for men to, to be the leaders and not for the woman to be, asking him every single time, like, can we do this? Or like, let's go on this date. Like, I think that, you know, that should bring some sort of momentum for him, but it shouldn't be like the culture of that relationship. Just in my opinion, I think that's biblical. Um, So just to wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, you what are some like resources that you recommend for like new believers. So I know we've talked a little bit about marriage. We've touched on um, the church. We've touched a little bit on theology. So like, what are some resources that you have, including your own awesome podcast, um, which I've listened to some of your episodes and it's super great. I think it's really good for someone who's interested in theology, um, but doesn't have like that schooling background. So yeah, if you could just give us some like books, podcasts, um, just things that you, Think would help like a new believer or like a, a young Christian woman who's like trying to grow in her faith, or, or even guys.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. My podcast is theology for the rest of us. I don't post regularly like I used to. Um, I God willing, I'll post. I hope to post later this year more. But yeah, hopefully that's helpful to people. Um, so theology for the rest of us. Um, if uh, generally, you know, the the guys I listen to regularly, uh, John Piper has a podcast called. Ask Pastor John. He's a pastor. He was a pastor for many years in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities. Uh, he's a well-known author, preacher. So he's got like over a thousand episodes, and they cover all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and the episodes are like ten minutes each. So it's called Ask Pastor John. Um, I think that's a that's that's really helpful. Um, I listen to that pretty regularly. Um, as far as books, uh, if you're a new believer, there's a great book by getting David Mathis who He's one of the pastors at City's Church, one of my co-pastors. He's the guy that I originally had lunch with before I came to Minnesota. He wrote a book a couple years ago called Habits of Grace. And um, it's a really short, easy read. And it's basically about prayer, Bible reading, and community. Like, these are the three things you need in your life as a Christian. If you're going to grow, you need to have habits in your life that cultivate God's grace. And those things happen in the context of prayer. Community and Bible reading, and so he talks about that. It's a Really easy read. Um, would highly, highly uh, recommend that for for ladies, um, yeah, or for anyone. Not sorry for for new believers, um, and then I would say for uh, for young ladies. Um, that, that there's a lot of resources out there um, for women. One of my favorite female preachers who talks a lot about women is a woman named Paige Benton Brown. You can find her videos on YouTube. She's got lots of stuff. There's a lot of, there are other female women and teachers that do a lot of women's stuff. I find a lot of them are lame, if I'm honest. I know that sounds terrible. It's just like, it's just like, you can do it, girl. You're, you're pretty. You can, I don't know. It just seems so like cheerleader. And I, I've, I have talked to a lot of women that are just like, it just like, it feels encouraging in the moment, but there's no meat to it. And so, um, so that's the one I typically recommend, um, Paige Betten Brown, and then the other book I would recommend is by Courtney Reisig. She wrote a fun, phenomenal book called "Accidental Feminist," um, where she really just talks about how, like, many American women are accidentally feminine. They're not; they don't want to be feminists in the in the you know in the truest sense, in the most radical sense, but they've embraced unintentionally a lot of feministic ideology, and how it's actually really damaging in marriage and in Christian life. And so um, it's called accidental feminist and it's Courtney Reisig is the author. So those are some of the resources, probably more than you needed. Those are some of the resources that immediately off the top of my head.
1: Well, thank you so much for providing above and beyond what we asked for and being here to talk with us today. You were such a pleasure to talk to and get to know a little bit better and being one of... Uh, Alicia's best friends, as I could say. I am so glad that she has a wonderful professor to lead her in the right direction. And she's in such a good place to bring her closer to God in that relationship and just educate her in that. And I learned so much from her bringing back from school as well. So thank you so much for being here, Professor Kenny Ortiz.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.